Well, hello. It's been a while, hasn't it? I'm back. This is the Handsome Dan Podcast. A lot has been going on. Lots to talk about. So, let's get into it without further ado. Roll it. Episode 6. It's been a while between episode 5 and 6. A lot has been going on. A lot to talk to you about. There's so much going on. Look, let's start with me personally. Personally, things are going okay. I had the car accident and, oh yeah, my back's getting better. It's a slow but sure process, but I suppose when you reach my age, uh, it gets a little harder at times, that's for sure. But on a positive note, I'm looking better because, well, I wrote a play last year. Uh, a play, a short one-act play called NOLA. I did it for my writing course at university and I got a really good mark for it. First play I've ever written. I've always been sort of, I've written music reviews. I've written novel, well, not novels, but stories. I've started writing novels and started writing screenplays. Never really finished much. Never thought about writing a stage play, mainly because I don't think, I haven't really thought in that particular mode, that, that model of, of writing, which is, Dialogue heavy, one set, that sort of thing. I always try to get my characters to go out and do things and expand. So I I, I didn't see playwriting as anything, but I had to do it for a university subject. And I came up with a little one actor about a um, an elderly lady who is a crime boss, but no one seems to know this. I got a fairly decent mark for it. So I decided that I would um, submit it. Round plays. I've got a few actor friends and I talked to them and said, well, what do you think of this? They liked it. And I knew that the Gold Coast Little Theatre, which is near where I live, they do a festival of one-act plays. So I went and submitted it to them, just sent them an email and said, do you like this? I saw that their festival of one-act plays had a theme which was short and dangerous. And I thought, oh, that, well, I've written something, an original piece of work. And I submitted it to them and they said, yes, we'd love to put this on. This is great. And they uh, basically said, do you want to direct it? I'd never directed anything in my life. So that was a beautiful chance. Look, I've done theatre before. I've acted in plays and stuff. I haven't done it for like nearly 20 years. So this was new. This was an interesting challenge in every way. And uh, what, what a rewarding experience. We, the play was put on at the end of September with uh, three other one actors. And look, audiences were only small. Something like that's only got a niche audience, so to speak. But, uh, geez, I was happy with it. I went really, really super well. So I've basically decided from this point in time, because I don't know when you want to do something like you want to be a writer or you want to do something, when you get that first little taste of success, and when I say success, to me it was successful that the play was put on. It was successful in that I was happy with it. No, you know, like I can't say it was financially successful. I made no money out of it. It's an amateur theatre production. I had a budget of $100. I think I spent $50 on a rug. You know, that, that's the kind of thing. But it was it was great to work within those sorts of limits. But also, it was great to work with a theatre group that was supportive enough to say, yeah, we like your play. We want to put it on. We will give you the venue. We will give you any means you need. We will give you a sound crew, lighting crew, all the production you need at no charge to you. You can't go past that. That 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 is something that I just could not go past, and I forever grateful to the 
to the people at the Gold Coast Little Theatre, and I'm a member there, and they are keen to work with me as well. The president there, Peter Williams, who has directed many plays, has said, I would love for you to write more, and, and, and we would love to put on your plays. Well, what do you say to that? If this is the launch pad to something else, then I'm going to take it. Why not? Life's about opportunities. Take those opportunities when you can. I get presented lots of opportunities. I write reviews for Wall of Sound for my mate Brownie. He has uh, a website, uh, Facebook page, and a uh, podcast called Wall of Sound AU, as in Australia. Uh, good content done our way. And it's mainly for metal and hard rock and heavy releases. But uh, I just recently reviewed the new Marilyn Manson album for that website. It's for movie. It's for his new one, Heaven Upside Down. I really liked it. I think it's a bit of a return to Marilyn. I think he's um his old, how would I put it, all, all the things that, that that move Marilyn, like sex, violence, guns, government, religion, pornography, all the things that motivate him to create the art that he does. It's all there. It's all presented right in front of you. And I, I think it's a terrific release. If you like Marilyn Manson, I'm a fan. I've got to admit, I really do like artists that are creative in, in that way. And uh, yeah, so I digressed there, but I was always going to talk about the new Marilyn Manson album. So here it is. Um, I said, think it's really good. There's a couple of songs on there. Um, the video, if you ever see the video, if we know where you fucking live, uh, you'll You'll see he's back to all the things that, that motivate Marilyn Manson, that's for sure. Uh, also, there's other songs. The, the, the closing track on the album, uh, Threats of Romance, sounds like a warped version of T-Rex, because Manson does love his early glam and everything like that. And it, it's got a great refrain at the end where he says, I like you damaged. And I think he's, he's either talking about a person, or he could be talking about America, because I think it's the, the flaws in America. It's not a perfect country. Much as they like to think it's a perfect country. Uh, you need artists like Marilyn Manson in the world to basically tell you, no, it is not a perfect country at all. The world isn't a perfect place, but it is that imperfection that motivates me to want to create something that is memorable, that, that people will hook onto, that can, people can latch onto. And I, I kind of do that here with this podcast. I'm, I'm not overly controversial I'm not a, much as I love controversial art, movies, music, that sort of thing. I would not call myself a controversial person. I think though that what I do like to create though has a little bit of an edge to it. Not a little bit, a lot of an edge. I write some pretty damn dark stuff and uh, that's probably why I like Marilyn Manson. But if you saw me, I probably look like just any old guy from the suburbs. So yeah, that that's just the way it is there. It is there for me. I, I'm the same as a, uh, Marilyn Manson in that regard and that's why I like him so much so that's um, what I was talking about there it's taken away from my playwriting that's for sure going back to that I'm looking forward to writing more plays I've got a couple on the horizon and as I said before it's motivated me to want to write stuff more stuff and look I do when I say I haven't done a podcast for a while it's not because I haven't been doing anything I've been doing lots of stuff I've been doing lots of writing the play took up a lot of my time Looking back on it too, I, I, I could have done things a little different, Laurie a little better. I could have had an extra week's rehearsal, could have had a um, bit, I could have rewritten it again, uh, taken out a few of the, the slower points and made it a bit more streamlined. But that's a great learning experience and something I can use later on because I think the idea is, is don't bore the audience. 
dialogue driven, but make it all good, interesting dialogue. Make it something that people can hook into. Get to your point. As David Mamet says, if it doesn't serve the purpose of the punchline, get rid of it. No matter how much you like it, get rid of it. And uh, yeah, I've just got to learn to get rid of more stuff. But hey, if you're any writers out there or anything like that, musicians, whatever, just keep going at your craft. But it really is. It's just a case of just keeping on doing it. And I don't know, you never know. One day someone might pay me to do it. That's for sure. Look, let's get back into music now because there's a lot going on. I've just talked about Marilyn Manson's new album. I really did like it. Uh, Trent Reznor, uh, speaking of Marilyn Manson, Trent Reznor and his mate Atticus Ross, both permanent members of Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails have released a new EP, Add Violence. I like the fact that, um, once again, Marilyn's going back, not Marilyn, Nine Inch Nails are going back to what they do best. Uh, Really hard, edgy stuff. uh, Trent Reznor is one of those artists that I really there's a group category of artists that I have where they do they, they I think there's certain artists that are just as good as now as what they were 20 years ago and there's only like a little handful of them and Nine Inch Nails Trent Reznor's one I think Marilyn Manson's up there definitely Bruce Springsteen Nick Cave and Tom Waits they're probably the, the ones that's probably the ones I still keep listening to and another one who passed away not long ago Tom Petty he was an artist who just kept producing really, really good stuff right up until the end. I I got his last album with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and it was just a return to real garage rock. Petty really, he didn't follow musical trends. He just was his own kind of thing. And yet the public was always with him. He was huge in America. Never really, he only toured Australia the once. I saw him then when he was actually Bob Dylan's backing band for a Bob Dylan tour in 1986. And I think there were issues with... um, he was going out with Stevie Nicks at the time, and she came out to do a few shows. And um, the Australian government, as they like to do, said, your visa is incorrect and deported her. And I don't think he was very happy about that at all. But look, Vale Tom Petty passed away on a couple of weeks ago. It was a shock, 66 years old. He would have been celebrating his 67th birthday um, tomorrow, which is Thursday. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. And uh, look, he was definitely one of the greats, a great songwriter. And one of the songs that really got to me i've always been a bit of a fan of the wildflowers album and the title track wildflowers is one of the most beautiful songs ever and it's just so lovely to hear it and it's funny um miley cyrus did a beautiful version of it on the jimmy fallon show check it out on youtube it's just a beautiful version of wildflowers that, that's another she's another talent that girl she is she is going to be a superstar and she's going to stick around for a long time, but that's another that's another thing. Look, we lost Chester Bennington too in the time between my last podcast, and that's a rock and roll death that affected me so much. I've I found that one really hard. I, I get it's not easy when you hear about someone who takes their own life, especially when they're suffering from mental illness. And I'll be honest here, I do have my moments with mental illness. Uh, I do have depression and anxiety. And there are days that are harder than others. And just to know that Chester reached a point where he re- felt it couldn't get any better, that there was it, it just there was nothing worth waking up the next day for. It's something that really saddens me about his death. I really was a fan of Linkin Park. I, I thought they were an awesome band and still are. And I saw them live a couple of years ago. And Dead said one of the best live bands I've seen. What I did like was the audience they had seemed to attract were just nice people. You know, they, they just didn't have dickheads at their shows. People being polite, nice. And I thought, 
says a lot about this band, and they are one of the biggest bands in the world. They've sold like 80 million records. They're massive. So Bennington's influence on music and culture cannot be diminished. And I think his death was has really been felt. And you know what? I found it really hard now to even just listen to some Linkin Park. And they just released the Carpool Karaoke with Chester Bennington that was recorded a week before he died. And I haven't been able to watch that yet. Um, just I just haven't been able to. It, I don't know, it just really affected me more than others. I mean, Tom is getting on a bit. And it's surprising to see that Tom Petty has a massive heart attack at 66. And you think, wow, you know, that's, that's life. And then you get Chester Bennington at 41. And, you know, he feels he can't do it anymore. And Chris Cornell as well took his own life not long before that just makes it really hard i was a fan of soundgarden and i like cornell had one of the greatest rock voices of all time so yeah really 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 tough time this year you know three of the all-time greats it's just getting harder each year music it's rock music is starting to just find how would i put it i read an article a few years ago that said rock music is into its dotage now artists are starting to die not at their own hand or the hand of drugs or anything like that, but from old age sort of diseases, cancers, heart failure, that sort of thing. And it's true. It's true. It's We're reaching kind of the end point of an historic moment, I think, because there's no real rock bands out there that are inspiring people to pick up guitars and play in rock bands. Sure, people will always do that, but I'm not seeing the, the like what the impact the Beatles had on the world when, when they turned up on the Ed Sullivan show and then the next day, Everybody was buying a guitar and forming a band. Well, people, we, the electronic instruments now are so much cheaper, easier to use with apps. I use them. I've got my own Novation launch key and launch pad, and I've got a DJ uh, controller from Pioneer. And I, I like using it. I love that sort of stuff. It, it's really cool. I like getting older songs and mixing them up. And, and it's cheaper now with the apps. It's so much cheaper than buying a whole bunch of musical instruments. And... Um, I really, really like doing that. Let's get on to some other music. Look, I'm going to talk about a new discovery that is an old, old discovery. But for years, I've heard about this band called The Swans. Well, Swans, I'll just, that's what they're called. From New York City. I've been told, heard that they were one of the loudest bands in the world. And I watched something on YouTube recently where they talked about, uh, talking about great things. And they said, like this great Swans album called The Seer. Never heard it. So I got it on Spotify and had a listen. And oh my God. They're my new favorite band. And the good thing about discovering something that's been around for a long time, especially an artist, an outfit like the Swans, is that there's this massive back catalog for me to go and explore. And I've got to love that because now I'm just going back and I'm, I mean, the last three Swans albums are just incredible. Even like the title track of their last album, The Glowing Man, goes for 28 minutes. It's a huge slab of instrumental music and vocals timing changes and i just love just instrumental stuff that takes me to this other place and swans are just just blowing my mind at the moment and even going back to some of their earlier stuff like their early records like filth and cop and oh just soundtracks for the blind all that sort of stuff i'm getting into it i'm listening to it gotta love the swans and i'm into anything that's just that little bit different at the moment even I listen to a lot of da- electronic dance artists that are mainly instrumental, uh, purely for that sort of stuff, like the Glitch Mob and Protonica and Time in Motion and Aphex Twin. Really love some of that really experimental stuff that's going on. 
and you can do with with music whether it's be guitars or keyboards or whatever it is i just loving all all that really experimental stuff even nick cave stuff because if you really listen to nick cave he's got the the he's got the sort of crooning vocal going on but musically with warren ellis there as kind of the musical director of the bad seat it's very avant-garde and there's a lot of experimental stuff going on and nick cave and warren ellis of course are combined again for another soundtrack this one for a movie called wind river wind river is written directed by taylor sheridan uh, he wrote the screenplays for Hello High Water and Sicario, two of my favourite films from the last couple of years. I haven't seen Wind River yet, so I'm really looking forward to it, but I've got the soundtrack and it's a, it's a great soundtrack to listen to, especially when I'm writing. I, that's probably why I like listening to big instrumental music. Um, if I'm writing with vocalists, it's hard because you're, you're trying to sing a lot or you, your brain kind of goes into this, this mode where you're listening to the vocal. And that's what I like about instrumental music is you... It, takes that away and you can do whatever you want within the confines of the music and that's why i like writing to instrumental music now speaking of other instrumental music also going with with movies because i'm, I'm i think they're going hand in hand at the moment for me i'm going to talk about hans zimmer's scores mainly for dunkirk dunkirk i think is probably one of the best films i've seen this year it's it's definitely going to be in my top 10 when it's all finished said and done I think Christopher Nolan has just created something incredible. It's a film that I really couldn't get out of my head while after I saw it. And I'm dying to see it again because he did something unique that I've never seen in a war film and that the three different linear, non-linear storytelling, the three different timelines. You're looking at one story is happening over the period of a week. One story is happening over the period of a day. One story is happening over the period of an hour. Yet it is all edited together and combined to all come together at the end to create what is one of the most stunning endings I've ever seen put to a film. I thought Dunkirk was just... Not many filmmakers could pull that off. And because Christopher Nolan now gets lots of money from film studios because his people want to go and see his films, I, I think... You know, good on him. Yes, yes, he can do it. Let, let, I like him working on a big canvas. He can tell his stories in his own way. The nonlinear timeline served him well when he made uh, his first feature film, Memento, back in 2000, with the one story being told forward and one story being told backwards, all coming together kind of in the middle, which is the end, so to speak. So he, he can do that really, really well. And I think Dunkirk is just, it's the work of a master filmmaker. That's how I would put it. The work of a master filmmaker at the top of his game. He's also, also, while I was talking about that, because Hans Zimmer's score is one of the best scores I've heard this year. I think when all is said and done, come award season, Oscars and stuff, Zimmer's going to get another Oscar, especially for his work with Dunkirk. I'm sure he'll be nominated as one of the best scores I've heard this year, as I said. And also for his work for Blade Runner 2049. And you can't, well, you can't talk about any film without talking about that one. That's the big one. I loved Blade Runner 2049. I loved the original film. I loved it when it first came out in 1982 when I first saw it. And it had the narration and everything. I thought it was terrific. It's slow. A lot of people said this new version, because it's two hours and 43 minutes long, is slow and boring. All good sci-fi should be slow and boring. And if you really watch Blade Runner again, it's slow and boring with a couple of punchy action scenes in it. Blade Runner 2049 is no different. And when I say slow and boring, I don't that mean that to be awful. Some of the greatest sci-fi films, like Andrei Tarkovsky's Solaris and Stalker, are slow and boring, but boy, they get under your skin. They get into your head. And that's what I liked about Blade Runner 2049, whereas the first film explored those philosophical concepts as to what it means to be human, 
Blade Runner 2049 takes it to another level. And do your memories make you human? Do, do your thoughts and feelings, what, what is it that makes you human? Loved it. Loved Blade Runner. Looks great. Denis Villeneuve has become one of my favorite filmmakers. Well, in the, in the, up there with one of my favorite filmmakers. I really liked Arrival. I loved Sicario. And I liked Prisoners. I've yet to see Enemy. Uh, I'll have to watch that. But I really, really dug Blade Runner 2049. I love just visual movies like that with the music and the sound, the immersive sound. It's just the type of things that if I ever get to start making films, I mightn't get to make something on that grand scale, but something that can just make you feel and doesn't have to be a big epic film for that to happen. Now, another film that I've seen recently that uh, is a film that came out last year, but I only just saw it recently is because I'm really interested in Yorgos Lanthimos, the Greek film director. This is the film that he brought out last year, The Lobster, which has Colin Farrell in it. And he's the most, most underrated actor. Some people don't rate him, but I'll tell you what, he gets to work with some good directors. And uh, it also has Rachel Weiss in it. And it's basically about... It's set in a weird kind of future where uh, people live in the city and you have to be in a relationship. You have to be in a partnership, a marriage, or something with somebody. If not, they send you to the hotel where you have 45 days to find a partner. If not, if you can't, you are then released into the wild and turned, you are turned into a beast, an animal of your choosing and released into the wild. Hence the title, The Lobster. Colin Farrell's character starts with him, his wife leaving him, and he goes to the hotel where he says he wants to be a lobster because they live to be 100 years old. It's... It might sound weird, and it is a little weird, but geez, it's a good film and very affecting, and I really like, and it's weirdly funny in places, like, I found myself laughing out loud in some of the weirdest places. Yorgos Lanthimos made this film called Dogtooth, which I've yet to see, that's another film that interests me about a man bringing up his family behind closed walls, they never go outside, and he creates his own kind of world, where words mean different things, and uh, I think it messes with his family. I really, really would like to see this. I'll have to try and hire that one there. But um, I really like that. And the reason I'm, I'm into that, because his new film's coming out called The Killing of a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell in it again and Nicole Kidman. And this film looks really, really interesting. Even the trailer is a little bit bizarre, but I, that's what I don't mind about him. So I'm really looking forward to seeing The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And I'm sure as soon as I see it, I'm going to talk about it here. I'm not going to let it roll for another... Oh, couple of months because i've got people who want to listen to this podcast all of you i know there's lots of you out there so thank you for listening and getting onto itunes and soundcloud and all that and thanks for subscribing if you do and please leave a comment say what you like i'd really like to hear what some people think about this podcast also another movie i'm looking forward to seeing i've just read the book the disaster artist by greg sestero uh oh hi mark yes it's about the movie the room greg sestero was in the movie and the the movie made by Tommy Wiseau, acted, written, directed by this weird guy from San Francisco, has rated the worst movie ever made, and uh, it's now got this cult following. It's like this bad movie people love. I've watched the film, the, the The Room, and it's terrible. It's uniquely terrible. It doesn't make sense. It's weird, uh, and not in a really hey cool weird way. It's weird in like no way is that how people talk to each other is. Well, that's how people relate to each other, or really would anyone care? So it's really, 
the guy, Tommy Wiseau, clearly has no idea how human beings interact with one another. And he wanted to make this film that was so emotionally challenging that you would feel for this guy whose girlfriend is cheating on him in such a way it would change your life irrevocably. And uh, you just find yourself wanting it to end, but not wanting it to end, so to speak. It's, it's, but anyway, Greg Sestero, who was in the film, wrote a book about the making of it called The Disaster Artist, which has been made into a film by James Franco. He's playing Tommy Wiseau. If you haven't seen the trailer for it, check it out. I cannot wait to see this movie. After reading the book, seeing the room, I want to see The Disaster Artist. I have faith in James Franco and his brother Dave and Seth Rogen. The film looks hilarious, but I'm sure there's a bit of darkness going on too because the book was both funny and dark at the same time. So that's it for me. Wow, I've, I've filled this podcast up already. I'll tell you what, when you don't have, when you haven't spoken for a while, a lot of it's just coming out. It's just coming out in, in droves. But I'm sure I'll find more to talk about as the year comes stampeding towards an end. Looking forward to it. I've forgotten how much I enjoy just talking into this microphone and just knowing you're out there listening. And uh, yeah, please subscribe, put a like, whatever. SoundCloud, iTunes, let me, give me a review. I'd really like to hear a review just to hear what some people say about it. And yeah, thanks very much. Tune in next time. This is the Handsome Dan Podcast.